on this episode of Run, Jump, Stomp, a U.S. senator is introducing some gaming laws. State of play happened with PlayStation. Microsoft is making games more accessible. And they want you to clean up your act. Those stories and more on this episode of Run, Jump, Stomp. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are listening to this show and you are, you just heard some other person talking, which usually doesn't happen. It's usually just Bill. But this time I am joined by somebody whose podcast I listened to for a very long time. He is clearly the tallest judge from America's Next Top Podcaster. I say that having only ever seen these people from the shoulders up. So how's it going? That's Scott Johnson. Hey, it's good to be here, Bill. Thanks for having me. I think, yeah, if you put me... Nicole and um, Jury in the same room, I will out hype them by a good foot or more. A good foot or more. See, I yeah. had no idea how tall Jury was, so I wasn't sure if I s- should say that. <laughs> yeah, he's a little shorty guy, and that's okay. Like, he's normal. He's average. I have this uh, extendo uh, height problem that gets me in trouble sometimes with, like, movie theaters or, you know, trying to fit <laughs> in, a, in a regular coach airplane seat. It's sort of nightmarish, actually, the things I have to deal with as a, as a tall person. But look, I don't complain. I keep it to myself for the most part. Uh, but at least at the very least, I've now vented it on your show and I don't have to talk about it for another eight months. There you go. Uh, so may, you guys heard it here first. He'll be back in eight months to talk about how tall he is. Uh, let's Before we get started on the video gaming news, I want to give everybody a chance to get to know Scott. I think that most people who listen to my show probably also know who Scott is. But Scott, why don't you give everyone a rundown of exactly who you are? Well, uh, I am a human male from planet Earth. I won't go that far back. Okay. Uh, I am uh, a podcaster and artist, and that's what I do. I'm pretty much a full-time doing what I wanted to do when I was 10 years old, and I figured out a way to do it. I host a myriad of podcasts, eight or nine currently in production, and uh, they range from a daily morning show to uh, weekly shows about video games, weekly shows about other kinds of stuff, and um, I do that all the time. That's kind of my constant gig. I also do a lot of illustration, uh, comic and art, uh, commercial artwork that is both stuff I make for the fan community, things they buy in the store, or uh, sometimes it's just for fun, but it's also for side gigs and other projects. So between those two things, uh, that's pretty much what makes me. And of course, you know, got a family, three kids, my wife, a couple dogs, you know, living the life, living the dream. That's awesome. Um, we're about to talk about video game news. Maybe people want to know, like, what's your history with gaming? What, like, where did you oh, start man. out video games? goes very far back for me. Um, I was, uh, as a kid growing up, I had the cool opportunity to live in a house where we always had video games. And by that, I mean, my dad actually owned and ran multiple arcades in the Valley. And um, as a result, he was always getting new arcade machines in. So one day we'd have a cocktail Pac-Man in the house. And the other next day we'd get, I don't know, Mooncresta or uh, Battlezone would show up in the garage or something like that. And these, uh, you know, sort of late 80s, early 90s sort of era, uh, you know, coin-op video games were always around the house. They always had free play on. And I was very popular in junior high as a result. (laughs) Um, I don't think anyone was my real friend, sadly, but... uh, we were video game friends at the least, but anyway, uh, that put the, that put the seed in me pretty hard. And I, and I, and I was always a fan of technologies and where it intersected with, with gaming, even it's in its most early incarnations, you know, whether that's the Atari 2600 or early NES days or whatever, but I was always fascinated by it as a business, as an industry. And certainly I love playing them. And so, um, that's always sort of been uh, a huge part of the backbone. Like I've got a lot of things that I do, a lot of diversity in what I cover and talk about and do as a career now, but it all seems to have one big common sort of arterial vein in it. Actually, arteries and veins are separate. So that, that's, that makes no sense what I just said, but you get my drift and it's video games. And um, they've been with me ever since I've owned every console there was to own. I played every PC game that mattered. I've, had every handheld. I have all the current stuff and look forward to whatever's next. It's just always been a part of me. Um, and it probably always will be. 
uh, as long as I can keep up with the trends, I guess. But uh, but yeah, I've uh, a long and storied life with video games just surrounding me all the time. So Scott was originally going to come on Nintendo Switchcraft. And if you're listening to this and you haven't subscribed to Nintendo Switchcraft, what the hell are you doing? Go subscribe. Uh, but when the news dropped uh, that we were getting some loot box legislation happening, I reached out and I said, you know, this might actually be a better conversation. And uh, he said, yes, that he wanted to do this instead. Uh, so J- Senator Josh Howley, I don't know how to say that. H-A-W-L-E-Y. He's a Republican. Holly is what I understand, which is Holly. a little weird, but Holly is what I believe happened. Yeah, well, here's the name. He can he can pronounce it that way if he wants to, I guess. Uh, this guy, he's a Republican out of Missouri, or as the people in Missouri say, Missouri. Yeah, and, or uh, misery, depending on how <laughs> like, you like the place or not. Sure. You know, I went to basic training in Missouri when I was in the Army, and that's how we pronounced it, was misery, ah. because it was terrible. But uh, he <laughs> announced a bill. Now, there's a lot of pe- people out there that are, that are saying that the bill has been introduced it hasn't actually been introduced. He's just talking about it. He's announcing that he's thinking about doing something about this. And the the TLDR of this is that the the bill, its, its objectivity is to ban loot boxes and pay-to-win microtransactions in games that are played by minors. Scott, what's your mm-hmm. initial take on this? My initial take is the one is the same take I have whenever government and or uh, legislators try to get involved in regulation of video games. And that is they they always come to it with so little information. So even based on what you just gave is the TLDR, and there's a lot more to it. Yeah. But they basically just said, look, we want to ban these outright from any video games a kid plays. Well, I hate to tell them this, but pretty much every kid will play all video games if they want to, you know, if they want to play Fortnite, they're going to play it. They want to play Overwatch, they're going to play it. So this idea that we have this cordoned off area where just the kids play to me is naive. Um, They're, they're coming at that from a really weird angle. And this isn't the first time it probably won't be the last time, but he strikes me as somebody who doesn't actually understand how video games work. What he's probably got is people, uh, constituents of his who are barking up that tree and saying, we got to do something about my kid. He spends all his money in Fortnite and all his time there. And this is his gut reaction. Um, that being said, I also think that uh, th- this is the part where I'm going to agree with him. I think that loot boxes and pay to win and sort of microtransactions in general, not all, but many are... Uh, kind of crappily uh, implemented in a way that takes advantage of people who maybe have less, uh, you know, straps on their savings or are a little less inclined to hold back and look at the value of the dollar they're spending. I do think that it's, I wouldn't call it criminal, but I would call it a little skeezy. And <laughs> it's been that way for a while. Mobile has helped pro- uh, propel that in a pretty major way, but certainly consoles and PCs and developers and, and publishers have all caught up and uh, glommed on to this idea that this is a way to do a thing and i don't love it um here's the other problem though this isn't a simple do you have loot boxes or do you not or even does a kid play your game or does he not it gets way more complicated than that at what point is something not a loot box in other words if i'm in i don't know let's say diablo um playing diablo 3 and i get an, a, a resplendent chest okay at the end of a run Okay. And I click on that thing and it poops out a bunch of gear and gold. And man, that was awesome because look at the cool legendary God. That means I can go up a level in difficulty and go through this again and keep getting more of these chests and open them again and get more gold and more cool loot. And when does it end? It never does because that's the whole point of the game, right? Right. Are, do they stop shy of that? I, I, I mean, I don't want to, I'm not going to pretend I don't know that this is mostly dealing with two factors. One is, um, predatory money grabbing and kids not having the maturity to contain themselves. Basically they're just, they're, they're trying their best not to say gambling, but that's kind of what they think this is. And I would argue that you really need to understand the depth of the industry, the depth of the genres it contains before you start throwing legislation at it like spaghetti, because I don't think it'll work. Thirdly. So there's my third and final thought on all of this. Uh, or my third and final initial thought, I guess. 
is that I want the industry itself, and I said this on another show of mine, I want the industry itself to step up the way they did in the 90s and self-regulate in this regard. They also know that some of this stuff is predatory, and they also know that it makes a ton of money, and they've got to come to some kind of conclusion as to what their stance will be, be it a moral one or a business one or whatever that stance is going to be. The rating system in the 90s came out of the threat of government regulation, and they figured out a way to do it internally, and it worked, and it was great, and it stands to this day, and nobody's trying to push that anymore from a regulatory standpoint. They self-regulated through that. And they made it work across multiple regions. Um, There's no reason they couldn't come to some agreement here. It's a little more complicated here because it actually goes to their bottom line. And they're dealing with an industry that doesn't deal with inflation the way others do. Other industries, you're like, well, all right, cars were $2,000 in 1975. (laughs) Same car today is going to cost you $25,000 or more. Video games were $49 10 years ago. And they're still pretty much right around 49, 59 now. They don't have the same rate of, of uh, inflation. So they are driven and motivated to come up with other streams of revenue so they can continue to grow. And one of those is loot boxes. Others are microtransactions. Some are you know, selling a premium product and still charging microtransactions on the other end. Again, a kind of skeevy practice on the face of it. But I also understand that these are revenue generators in an industry that doesn't do well with well we'll just we'll just raise the price of our games because players won't pay won't pay it or there'll be giant backlash so it's a very hard place i know that they find them in and i'm not going to pretend to be completely blind to the problem they're facing but i do think this needs to be a combination of education on the side of this senator and others who may support it uh and the industry itself putting measures in that might help take care of it without somebody having to step in yeah, I think that, well, you, you brought up, well, that was a lot to unpack. Uh, first off, the, 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 the idea of revenue, yeah. uh, in addition to what you just said about how the game prices don't go up with inflation very much, on top of that, making a video game has gotten more and more expensive over time. So like the, it, we're, we're a long way away from the days when you'd have a team of like five or six guys make a, make a game uh, for the NES. Now it's like teams of hundreds sometimes that make all of these games. And yeah. that alone, with the if you add that to the fact that the prices of video games today are not multiple hundreds of dollars, mm-hmm. it like that price has just kept going down and Yes, they. I'm not saying that EA is having financial difficulties. Far from it. Um, but that idea that that they're making a lot of money. Yes, they are. But it's not because they're keeping up with inflation. The second right, thing. That's the, go ahead. the the other way they try to do it is volume to make up for that. And so you know they have gigantic advertising budgets and huge PR budgets and. They do all they can to push as hard as they can. And if one little thing goes wrong, like Mortal Kombat facing some of its issues in the last couple of weeks, it can have a real impact on sales. And suddenly you're not in the green, you know, you're very much in the red. So, yeah, I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's it's, a, okay. it's an important point to know where all that, that money is being spent. A lot of it is just being spent to make sure that they get as much coverage as possible because there's so much competition. And you and I, if we want, I mean, this is one of the, this is a, this is a fun dichotomy because you and I could go into a garage and go make games right now and do really well on Steam if we make cool games. That that market, the indie market, certainly on uh, multiple platforms now, is huge. And partially because we live in such a big ecosystem of gaming, from big AAA titles all the way down to one guy in his basement, we can have all of this range. And that part of it's great. Like, I love that. But at the top is where we're having the problem. And that's the stuff that's you know getting targeted and where we probably need to try to find a fix. Definitely. We definitely do have to find a fix there. Um, you, you, you mentioned the 90s, you know, when the, the ESRB first formed. I mean, actually, Sega tried doing that rating system beforehand. I don't know if you remember this, Scott, but like the Genesis cartridges, they had their own rating system at first. Mm-hmm. And then it was after Mortal Kombat and Night Trap came out that... Uh, the government was like, okay, these are violent games and they're impacting our children and we have to protect our children. And that's the same kind of thing that's happening here. We have to protect our children is the the theme of 
this particular bill. And um, in the 90s, that forced companies like Nintendo and Sega to work together where Sega was trying to do something like this. And Nintendo was saying, well, we're not going to work with you. We'll just we'll just keep clean games. That's why Mortal Kombat didn't have blood on the Super Nintendo without putting in the code. Mm -hmm. And by the government getting in there and threatening them, it ended up forcing two companies that did not want to work together to work together to come up with the ESRB. And I think at the end of the day, we're all better off because of it. Even if a lot of times you, like I used to work in a video game store and parents would come in and they would buy these games that are rated M or, you know, something like that for their, their little youngling. And, you know, I would always say, well, I don't know if you want to do that. These games are, this is a game that is really for grownups. And the kid would give me the old hairy eyeball and be mad and uh <laughs> <laughs> you know they would they'd be mad and you know sometimes the parent just said oh, i don't care it's a video game video games are for kids and that's uh that's something that i feel like mr holly might not understand is that not all video games are for kids and his 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 idea here that games that are played by minors that definitely needs a definition I think yeah, that there's no such thing in my opinion. There's just, it's all, it's minors, it's adults, it's everybody. There's no like weird, he thinks there's some distinction or dividing line and there really isn't. Right. Almost like he thinks that you go into a store and you get carded when you go to buy a game, which, you know, that's something that they have said that they wanted in the past, that if you go in to buy an M rated game that you would get carded, that kind of thing. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad idea. In fact, I, I kind of like that idea that you would get carded to buy a game that you're not supposed to have when you're a kid. I don't let my kid uh, play certain games. Mm -hmm. It all depends on what kind of stuff is in that game. Now, me being a, a, a parent who is also somebody who plays video games, you know, I have the wherewithal to understand this is what's in this game and this is what's in that game. But most parents don't have that. And I know that there's a lot of people out there who say there has to be responsibility on the part of the parents when it comes to what games their kid is playing. And I totally agree with that. But if you had asked my parents what games I was playing, you know, they didn't own an arcade business. They would have been like, I don't know. I don't I don't understand these things. My dad mm -hmm. still doesn't understand these things. When when he he comes he calls me when he's having uh when when he gets a text from somebody he doesn't know and he's like should I delete this because uh, it was like a spam text so mm -hmm. he doesn't understand that kind of stuff. Do you, do you think that um that this should be on the parents mostly or where, where do you land on that? Well, I absolutely do think the parents have. A gigantic role to play, maybe the biggest role to play when it comes to what their kids are playing. Uh, but it, it's no different now than then. And there's the other disingenuous thing about this, in my opinion, is that Senator Hawley is not that old. Um, it's not like he doesn't know what a video game is or never saw them before and very likely played it when he was younger. Um, but his constituents, he, you know, he's trying to play to his con constituents. He's 39 yeah, years he old. Yeah, he is. And that, and that bums me out because to me, that's not being uh, wholly. Uh, you know, uh, true in his desire to, to do something about this. This is less about like, uh, we're getting to the point where we, we can't pretend to be naive about this particular form of entertainment any more than people can be naive about movies now or comic books before this or anything else that scares the status quo. Um, and so I, I, I feel like there's a, there's kind of a problem with that going on here that at least should be addressed. But in the case of what's the parent's responsibility, it's the same responsibility. It's always been, you know, if it's um, you film, you don't think your kid's ready for it, Don't take them. Uh, if they go do it without your permission, you know, whatever your rules are in your own house for punishment, you kick in and do it. Um, like in my opinion, it, this is no different than it's ever been. And it will always be a bit of a loose requirement because some parents are going to be very mindful of this and helpful about it. And others aren't. I have my own style of parenting, which is don't tell your kid not to play Mortal Kombat, play it with him. 
that's the key. <laughs> like I did this with my kids. If they were afraid of something or if I thought they were too young, perhaps for the content, the best way to show them was not having to sneak over at their friends because now they're really curious because dad, you know, said, don't ever play this. Now I have to know what Billy has at his house. It's going to happen. So don't have him do that. Instead, play it with him. Show him what's up. Teach him that, you know, how games work, how narratives work, how make-believe works. Like there's opportunities there. So if I have parent advice, it's that. The problem with parent advice, it doesn't always line up with regulation or even self-regulation in the case of the games business. So yeah, I don't I don't know that that idea will will hold much mustard in the long term. So in the 90s, the games industry developed the ESRB and they they kind of said, "Okay, we're going to manage ourselves before the government does." And did you get to see what their response was to this yet? The ESRB? Um, no, I've not looked into what they're, I assume that they were going to weigh in on this because it makes sense given, you know, who they are. And certainly there are other governing boards in other countries that I have to think have uh, things to say as well. Yeah. Uh, like the Peggy system in Europe. And I don't even know the names of them all, but. Well, the ESRB chimed in and they said numerous countries, including Ireland, Germany, Sweden, Denmark. Sorry, Swedish people. I don't mean to do that. It's just Scott's here. Uh, (laughs) Australia, New Zealand and the UK determined that loot boxes do not constitute gambling. Now, when I talk about loot boxes, I mean, I'm going to pay a dollar and I'm going to pull this handle and hopefully something cool pops out. I'm not talking about the resplendent chest at the end of a level in Diablo three. Hopefully, hopefully this bill is focused on the actual loot box and not, not the resplendent chest because that would be very upsetting. Uh, But, but the ESRB says we look forward to sharing with the Senator, the tools and information the industry already provides that keeps control of in-game spending in parents. Uh, in yeah. parents' hands I mean, already. Be, be, my biggest problem with their response there is that um, I, I don't know if that's... I, I don't know if that will have any... I mean, maybe these things never have any impact, but I don't think the senator's going to give a crap about it. I think he's going to still try, try, probably try to push this stuff through. Whether it passes or not is another issue. Um, I actually think it probably won't pass, yeah, is my personal so. opinion. Um, but that being said, uh, they... It's not gambling. Like by any definition, it's not gambling. Now, is it gambling in some of the brain chemicals that pop when you gamble? Maybe. Like that, I'm not arguing. There may be science to say, ooh, I get dopamine every time I successfully get a loot box that opens and gives me some stuff. I'm going to keep spending money to do that. You may be talking about the same general reaction, but you're not actually gambling because you're not, you're not putting money to see if you can get more money from it or see if you can lose money. You're spending a thing on a thing, and then the thing is what the thing is. Um, I, I, so when they compare it to gambling, I kind of croak cause I'm just like, really gambling? Like that's not gambling. I don't know. I disagree. I think it is gambling myself. Uh, I feel like you're, you're paying for a chance to win something that you want and there's a chance that you won't win the thing that you want. So to me, that feels like gambling. And so like if my son wants to spend money on, you know, like his PS4 cash, I tell him he's not allowed to. Uh, spend it on loot boxes because he's not going to, he may not get the thing that he wants. He can mm-hmm. use it to buy games or a battle pass or something like that, but you know, not on loot boxes because loot boxes are gambling. And you know, a, a child's brain is still developing and they, they have, they have a, a gap between the cause and the effect. And they always think that they're going to win every single time they think I'm going to win this time. I, they can't imagine that they would lose and it's because their brain hasn't fully developed yet. And when you give them that dopamine, like you mentioned, like that is going to, that, that has a possibility to create a gambling addict. Yeah. Like, because, well, I, I completely agree with with what you're saying in terms of the effect. And that's why I won't argue that because absolutely the effect, especially to kids, it's really not all that different, but they have to have a different definition for it because gambling is here's money. I'm going to see if that money will double or increase and I'm going to put it on the table and then oops or yay, I did it. I earned an extra hundred dollars. Now I'm going to gamble more money and try to earn more money. Uh, or I'm going to shoot. I lost 500. I only came here with a hundred. I'm, I'm $400 down on the deal. I've got no money to get home. Like that's gambling because you're gambling with your money. 
This is more like Magic the Gathering cards. You go to the store, you buy a pack, you paid five bucks, and you hope some really cool cards are in there. Uh, a digital version of that would be Hearthstone. I don't think anybody's arguing that that form of buying a thing, hoping there's a thing in it, is gambling by definition. Is it good for our brains or is it good for our kids? I mean, I'll argue, no, it's not. And that's why I don't like it. But I think they just, in order for this to be an educated discussion for all parties, including the government, they've got to get their head around what this stuff actually is and classify it as such. Because if we're going to call it gambling, well, then I got bad news for them. There is a lot of stuff in life that is basically gambling. And it's going to affect way more than just anything to do with video games. There are many things that you will purchase something and hope that something came with the thing you purchased. And if it doesn't, you'll wait for the next one. Uh, And if that's gambling, then we're all gambling. And there are plenty of state laws that are being violated without (laughs) us knowing it. I never. So that would be my only worry. Because I agree with you about impact. Impact, especially for kids, kind of the same. Uh, Do I want the government to figure that out? No, because they're bad at this. I would rather see parents and smart industry moves and stuff like that and not some doofus in Missouri who thinks he knows how this works. And and I have to say that, um, (laughs) this is funny. I never thought of this until you mentioned, uh, Hearthstone. So Hearthstone, I, I would, I would have absolutely said, yes, that's gambling. But then when Hmm. you talked about going and buying cards in a store, is that gambling? I would have said no. And I never made the connection that you just said, like, did you did you collect baseball cards when you were a kid? Yeah, I totally did. That was another. It's the form of the exact same thing. It's just a physical version of the digital yeah. thing we're talking about now. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I never thought of it that way. That's very interesting. We're, we're clearly not going to come down on a on an answer with just me and Scott. So if you guys haven't tweeted at us, you know, make sure that you do. I'm at Run Jump Stomp. He's at Scott Johnson, and let us know what you think is uh, it constitutes gambling. Uh, let's actually shift gears and talk about the state of play. Did you get a chance to watch the Sony's state of play yesterday? Uh, I haven't seen the whole thing. I saw chunks of it and I've been following kind of what's been going on around it. Um, I think that it is fascinating right now to watch Microsoft juxtaposed to Sony and their approaches to what's next. Um, so as a general, just overall sense, the fact that they're not at E3 this year, they're going with this video thing, which arguably Nintendo, not popularized, but made, made work in a way that everybody, everybody seems to be doing a form of it. If they're not going to E3, they're doing something like that. Um, that's been really fun to watch kind of, uh, as time has gone on. But I, uh, as far as the specifics, I'm a little behind. I have to say, I haven't watched that video in its entirety. Well, that's okay. I can tell you some of the things that happened in it. And uh, some of the things I was like, nah, I don't care. And then other things I was very excited about. So have you played Monster Hunter World at all? I have attempted to play Monster Hunter World, and I don't think it's for me. Okay, then uh, Monster Hunter World Iceborne, which comes out in June, will not be for you. Uh, Basically, it was Monster Hunter World in the snow, so it's DLC. Uh there's another game that, that this one I was very excited to see. And as soon as I heard the sound, I was like, oh, my God, like my eyes lit up. And I almost sent my son out of the room because uh, the sound was is a very, very specific sound. It was the sound of the predator making a mm-hmm. noise. Have, mm-hmm. have you played any of those? Um, oh God, there's Dead Dead by Daylight and Friday the 13th. They're like these as, asymmetrical video games where you got like a monster trying to kill you and then the other players are trying to get away or kill the monster oh yeah it's um um dead by daylight is the one i spend the most time with and uh it is it's a little harrowing for me but i get the appeal they're doing something like that i take it there yeah it's called predator hunting grounds comes out 2020 which I, I honestly, I don't know why they would tell us about this already in, in like this soon, uh, but that's okay. But Predator Hunting Grounds, is that something that you would be interested in or does that kind of gameplay not not your jam? I mean, I like it as a concept. I, I think that's just super cool. Um, I played a lot of Dead by Daylight and did not like it. Not because it's not a good game, but because I was just so stressed out. That game stressed me out bad. 
And my assumption would be that this would be similar to that. Although I'm a fan of the predator and genres like it. And that would maybe be enough to convince me there's even, um, there's actually a mission in, um, ghost recon wildlands, which is currently out for all platforms and has been for a couple of years, but it's kind of my favorite open world action game at the moment. And, um, there's actually a mission in there where you fight the predator. So I'm all in on it, uh, as far as a concept. And that does interest me a little bit more, but I, Oh man, they stress me out. And even when I'm the monster that stresses me out, like you're supposed to, you know, play that game as, as survivors and monsters and, and being the monster is supposed to be, I don't know, you're more powerful and you shouldn't be scared, but it still freaks me out. So I'm just kind of a bad horror game guy, I guess is what I'm trying to say in a roundabout way. Now you've been playing a bunch of horror games lately, haven't you? Is that like a thing that, cause, cause you have a sponsor doghouse, right? And then they yep. ask you to play scary games on your stream or something. Well, they don't, they never picked the actual games where that came from was the community. Um, I have a tendency to get to turn into a big baby when I play uh, games of that sort, and uh, especially really scary stuff. Like I thought, Resident Evil Seven was just terrifying. Um, the one I played after that, which was uh, oh, oh, um, oh, I forgot the name of it. It's a sequel. I can't think of the name. Outlast. Outlast Two. That's what it is. Uh, that thing just I, it makes me scream like a like a kid. And so and he's got I think a great the chat room, the chat room gets a kick out of it. So I think that's why they like it. Um, Doghouse is just happy to have me streaming. So they'd take whatever. And right now I, I took a bit of a break for a while and played a, an adventure game on there that I really recommend, by the way, called unavowed. It's like X files meets, I don't know, the magicians meets, I don't know. It's weird. It, it's, it's like an old school point and click adventure, but with some modern sensibilities. And it might be my favorite of those games I've ever played. I really liked it. Um, and what platform was that on? That was PC. That was on PC. Although I believe that might be elsewhere, but I'm not hundred percent sure on that. I think it might be other places. It's on steam for relatively cheap. I got it on sale and I thought, you know what? I'll, I'll save this for a rainy day. And I beat, <laughs> I beat undying or whatever the hell it was and came back to it and really enjoyed that break. So next up is resident evil two's uh reboot. And uh, apparently that's, you know, going to scare the pants off me. So I'm looking forward to that, but but yeah, like it seems like I like those, but really that's just for the community. I don't know if I want to do that in my own free time. Like I'm, you know, playing that with friends for a stream, I would play this Predator game, sure. But if you're asking me what I want to do on a Saturday night when no one else is around, oh man, probably not. Probably not Predator. Uh, and by yeah. the way, if you guys don't follow him on Twitch, you should because when he screams, it's hilarious. And there's lots of <laughs> clips of him screaming. What's your Twitch page? It's uh, Frog Pants, right? Frog Pants, uh, yeah, twitch.tv slash Frog Pants. Um, they can find it over at frogpants.com as well. And and um, I stream all my podcasts there as well. But when I'm playing, it's like a whole new animal. And uh, yeah, I'd love to, love to have some new folks in there. It's been fun. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to go through everything that was in the um, in the state of play, but the, probably the, the biggest thing, and I got to put this camera lens cap down because I keep dropping it like an idiot. Um, one of the biggest things that happened in in the state of play was Final Fantasy VII uh, Remake. They, they, they made a quick announcement that it's coming. Uh, well, not that it's coming, but there, we're going to hit more news in June. So ostensibly at E3, which is kind of weird because Sony's not going to be there and they're advertising it. I, I'm sure Sony will still do something around E3. Uh, are, were you a big fan of Final Fantasy VII or JRPGs in general, Scott? Um, I like JRPGs. I was not a big fan of Final Fantasy VII or any JRPGs that featured random battles. I hate them. And you might say, well, Scott, that's most of them. And you're right. Historically speaking, random battles where you're just running around outside and boom, you run into a thing is very common. Uh, all the way up to Pokemon. Although this last Pokemon game uh, didn't feature that, oddly enough. But apparently the next one will again, but I can't stand a game where I'm running and I just suddenly go and I'm in battle. <laughs> I hate it. Now I understand why they do it. It's to grind and get your XP and everything else, but I prefer Western RPGs and the way that they handle that sort of thing. Um, and progression, that kind of thing. So not my bag on, honestly, that's the one mechanic that kept me away for a long time. Uh, I'm happy to report though. These days, there are tons of JRPGs with fantastic, systems all around and that don't have the dumb random battle system i get to choose when i want to fight a thing um the first time i remember feeling this way was super mario or super paper mario 
where I could not only could I start the fight myself, but if I initiated it correctly, I could actually get a bonus damage on the dude before it even started. And I remember thinking, man, please let all these games just do this and then I'll play them. And sure enough, many do. Uh, Nino Cooney is a great example I played recently that I love. No, no random battles in. I'm currently playing the new Dragon uh, Dragon Quest. Was it Dragon Quest Eleven? Whatever it is, nine. I forget the uh, eleven. Yes, yeah, eleven. Um, I'm popping in and out of that. That is also a much more modern system, so I really dig that. If you told me, and no one said anything about this, so I don't know. You know, I don't know if it's true or whether it would ever happen. But if they said, "Hey, this Final Fantasy VII remake is going to feature non-randomized encounters," I would be stoked. Because well, what they shot, I did see that video. That looks okay. amazing. And they really went for it. It reminds me of what Camp, uh, Capcom's doing with some of their classic games and bringing them to a modern era, or, uh, RE2 being one of those. But um, I'm all in on that look and feel and place and time and everything about Final Fantasy VII appeals to me except for that stupid mechanic. So we'll see. You know, If that's not in there, I'm in. It's kind of like personalized loot. I, I, can't, I just can't go back and play something like Borderlands 2 where I got to fight over loot with my co-op buddies when I know that games like Diablo 3 and Destiny and everything else now features, you know, instanced loot per person. It just can't go back. So for me, that's one of those mechanics and I just can't do it. So if if they can give me that, they got my money. Oh, I think I think that you are in for uh, you're going to be happy because from what I hear, the Final Fantasy VII remake is going to not have the random battles, and not only that, but it's going to be a lot more like Final Fantasy XV. Did you ever play that one? I did play a bit of fifteen, and by that I assume they mean uh, the, the 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 combat's a little more real time. It's not strictly part uh, uh, turn based. Yeah, it looks like an action. It, the game. trailer the trailer they showed yesterday does absolutely suggest that. Um, I think that makes me hopeful because I do prefer that. Although I like a good just straight up turn based game. Um, so I don't have so much of a problem with that, but if you're telling me they're eschewing the idea of random battles, you just became my best friend of today. Of just today though. Just today though. Yeah. I don't want to, <laughs> I mean, let's no, we don't want to go too far. Right. Yeah. Uh, we just met. Uh, so that, that's, a, <laughs> uh, that's a, that's a really good, good point. Now I don't know for sure, but I, I can't imagine a way for them to have an action combat system with randomized battles like that doesn't really seem to work for me like that doesn't Mm -hmm. make any sense so i think it's going to be more like final fantasy 15 where you can see the enemies that are in the in in the overworld as you fight and you just fight them in the world uh the normal way um what do you think about the idea that they're taking the game and they're breaking it into segments so it's quote unquote episodic uh, they're breaking it into three games. Um, there would have been a time where you would have told me that and I would have been frustrated uh, because I don't like the idea of piecemealing out my stuff, but I feel like Hitman turned me on that. Um, the recent 2016 Hitman and now the new one um, in 2016 in particular, that thing was was given to players in chunks and the game is structured in chunks too. So maybe that helped, but it, what it taught me was that, Oh, you know what? Episodic can be done, right? It's not just waiting for something and then being kind of like, well, this is sort of the same stuff you already gave me. Like they were legit giving me better and better things. And it felt good at the rate they were giving it to me. And they, they stuck to their commitments. I'm softer on that. Now I used to, I used to think that was a bad idea. It's been blown a lot of times, you know, valve never really delivered on what they were doing with half-life and its episodes. Um, in fact, they really just cut it short. They stopped with episode two and just never made another one. Why you got to bring that up, man? That's, I know it sucked. Mean, it was such a bummer. <laughs> and to see to see that being done right is hopeful to me. So I have, uh, you know, I've I have faith they can pull this one off, and I'd be all right with it. These are huge, enormous pieces of gameplay. These Final Fantasy games, all of them are, and the fact that they feel that they need to chunk it up like that i think is probably okay i mean also there's going to be people who just wait till the whole thing's out and they buy the bundle and and that's fine too um so yeah i I guess in this case i don't really have a problem with it i think that you and i uh kind of see eye to eye i don't mind the random battles but i i like the idea that the game is going to have a different combat system than the original i know a Mm -hmm. lot of people are upset about that they want it to have the same 
combat system as the original. And I say, just go play the original then. Um, and then, you know, I also don't mind the idea of it coming out in an episodic way, but I think for a different reason, I think for me, mostly because I think, dear God, I might actually finish a game. So I never finish games. Like I, I, I constantly, I see something shiny. I'm like, oh my God, look at that shiny thing. I'm going to go play that instead. And I'll come back to you in a second. And then I never come back to that game. Or if I do, I'm so lost that I'm like, what the hell was I doing? I guess I got to start over. And now I'm not going to finish it because I got to start all the way at the beginning. So if they're going to break up Final Fantasy VII Remake into sections, that's like saying, hey, Bill, we know that your attention span is terrible. So we're going to split this up for you. You can play a little bit of it. And then when the next one comes out, you can play a little bit of that too. And I think that for me, it's like they're taking a burden off me of here's this 200 hour RPG go. To me, that's like, oh, that's overwhelming. And I, I never get through it. Although I have no problem putting hundreds and hundreds of hours into an MMO. I don't know what the difference is, uh, but single player games tend to not hold my attention for very for, for long enough for me to get all the way through it. Um, mm-hmm. That's just me, though. I don't know. I feel like that you, you and I are similar in that regard. I do the same thing. Um, my backlog is ridiculous. Um, I do like once in a while, I'll be like, hey, that thing I bought in 2015 is still in my library. I should play that. And then finding out how great it was and that I totally missed out <laughs> by not finishing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there, there are cases where it's fine and it sort of pays off. But I, uh, I totally agree with you. And um, that helped me in particular with the Hitman game. Um, I felt like that Hitman game was way more for me to play because it knew that I needed a break or something. It's hard to explain, but, and they would hype me up again. I'd hear, Oh, the new parts coming out. Sweet. I forgot that was happening. And I get all, all hyped, all new. So yeah, I'm, I, I think that, I think I agree with you on that point and uh, would probably, probably welcome it. Now people, I'll say this about people who want the old combat system. They always say blood is thicker than, was it go blood thicker than wine? Is that the phrase? Blood is thicker than water. Well, a water. I'll tell you what's thicker than blood. Nostalgia. <laughs> what you ought to do is go back and play the old one on your PlayStation One, and then tell me how you feel because <laughs> I don't think that thing holds up at all and on lots of levels. And it was great at its day, like lots of things are. But man, rough business now. So. They've always got that. They can go back and soak in that all they want. This new thing may not be for them exactly, but I think it is definitely going to be more for me than it ever was before. Awesome. So uh, we talked about the game industry as a whole. We talked about PlayStation. Before we talk about Microsoft, they're going to take a quick commercial break. Stick around. Oh, that was the wrong button. Let's try that again. Frogger, Sega's arcade game, now a home video game from Parker Brothers, the ones to beat. Oh my goodness, Microsoft has pat. Microsoft is doing some really good things lately. I have to say, like they did that the whole thing where they've got the the adaptive controller with the two giant circles, and I like I'm kind of curious as to how that thing works because I see it and I'm like, I want to push those buttons and see what happens, mm. but. Uh, they just uh, had a, filed a patent for a a video game that has haptic braille, uh, or, or not a video game, a video game accessory for Xbox controllers that has haptic braille built into it. W- what do you think about Microsoft doing this kind of stuff? It sounds great to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in on it. Um, they won some awards, I think last year and this year at GDC for, um, for accessibility. I think that... This is uh, one of my favorite initiatives Microsoft is actually up to. And it's a market that wants to play games. So why are we making it harder for them to do that? Um, I think Microsoft should be commended for this. And I hope they continue to do these sorts of initiatives. All of that being said, I too am very curious to mess around with these controllers. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't know what to do with the Braille one because I don't know Braille at all and don't need to. Uh, But I have a, in particular, I have a, a friend who was blind since childhood who is stoked about this. Um, he's so excited. He barely can stand it. And what we forget is that there are, you know, there are games and experiences you can have that 
don't require your eyesight. I mean, there's just, there's things to be made in places that we just haven't thought of. And Microsoft is absolutely leading the way in this regard. Sony's not doing any of this sort of thing right now. Um, Neither for Nintendo. Or Nintendo, yeah, for that matter. So I think that this is great, and I hope others follow it. Um, I, I really don't have a bad thing to say about it, because uh, honestly, it's like they don't have to do it. It's not a major market niche that Microsoft would normally want to try to go after or dominate. It doesn't feel like if this is about money is as much as it is about inclusion, which just naturally means more people are on your platform. So um, I, I commend them. Yeah, I think it's awesome as well. Uh, it, but, you know, as far as Sony and and Nintendo not doing this kind of thing, I wish that they would either just copy what, and I don't know if they can, uh, Microsoft might look like the bad guy if the, if if Nintendo or Sony tried to make an adaptive controller and they said, no, we patented that like that, that would turn into them being a bad guy. Uh, mm-hmm. but I, I want Nintendo and PlayStation and, you know, somebody for computers to just copy what Microsoft is doing and put, bring it to your platform as well, because there's, there's no reason at all for Nintendo and PlayStation or Sony not to be working on this. Uh, I know it's not a huge market, like you said, but it just seems kind of, I don't know, ass backwards uh, that they're that that they're just letting Microsoft run away with this. Or maybe it's because Microsoft, you know, they did all this work and then once it was done, they were like, here it is. And they kind of caught everybody else flat footed and they just haven't had a chance to respond yet. I think that's part of it. There's certainly time for that. Um, I just think it's important for um, entities with the most power in the industry and therefore the most responsibility you could argue do stuff like this and it's not to say that sony and nintendo don't have other initiatives that aren't great in whatever ways but um yeah microsoft's definitely taking the wheel on this one and it's going to be fun to see if that what that translates to in, in real time like my daughter works at the university and they have one of these up there and they have kids with various disabilities and students that uh that love it in fact they have an entire um semester at the school in this uh, game development school that they have up there now where um the focus is non-traditional input method and so they're literally making game experiences that would better take advantage of not only that controller but things like people just using body movement or other alternate methods of input that aren't a controller with a bunch of buttons or a keyboard and mouse and so in a lot of ways i think this inspires more of that that can inspire more gameplay design choices that can translate well to folks in the, who would be considered disabled in this regard. Like it's just a good, it's a good thing to be doing. And I, and I kind of hope everybody else follows suit, but you know, they're also leaders in the industry and they, they need to be thinking of these sorts of things. So I'm always happy when companies do that when they don't have to. Well, you know, you bring up uh, Microsoft being a leader in the industry, and it looks like they are trying to lead the charge in uh, having gamers clean up their act. They released these new community standards uh, over at Xbox.com, and they get into this whole thing about knowing the difference between trash talk and harassment. And I think that this is a really good thing for Microsoft to do. Uh, They're... (laughs) Their examples are are ridiculous. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, one of their examples, and I I, I want to hear what your reaction is. If you had been trash talked like this before, you ready? Yeah, go for it. All right, get destroyed. Can't believe you thought you were on my level. <laughs> that was some potato aim. Get wrecked. <laughs> Anybody ever said these things to you? No. Well, I mean, in all fairness, I avoid Xbox Live like the plague I think it is. So I'm happy to play games on the service. I'd never have, I never, ever have headset stuff on in randos, ever. Like that's, that's a decision I made back when this was first being experimented with late in the PS2 sort of, uh, you know, late Xbox original uh, stage of things. And I learned very quickly that, yeah, the, some of the worst of people's behaviors and the worst of humanity will show up here. 
Um, that includes all my PC play. I learned a long time ago playing the competitive quake that you do not want to be talking to people over IP, uh, <laughs> even in those weird heady days when we were playing on dial up. So um, I'm kind of more of a fan of, I don't want to do that unless it's my friends and my crew anyway. Uh, so I'm already avoid it, but uh, so maybe somebody would have said that's some real potato aim <laughs> to me. Um, I don't know. Uh, clearly this is being read, uh, read and written by people who talk to somebody who knows some of these terms. And then somebody in this board meeting said, well, we got to water that down a little bit to be a little less offensive. So let's uh-huh. come up with a few that are, you know, like get wrecked. My son is always saying get wrecked. Yeah. My son says that too. Yeah. So it's coming off as super cheese ball. And well, like your accept- parents are telling a- you. That's acceptable you know. trash talk, according to right. Microsoft. <laughs> well, not only that, but they're just they're, the way they're saying it. It's like somebody, uh, was the secretary in uh, Ferris Bueller's day off, going, uh, "Oh, that Ferris Bueller, he's a radical dude, or whatever." <laughs> like it doesn't it doesn't sound right with them saying it. However, I like the intent behind it. It's, you know, there's nothing wrong with a, once in a while reinforcing the kind of standards you hope for and expect on your service. Probably what it does more than anything is drive people to be louder and more obnoxious. I mean, I've learned in my podcasting years, the minute I say, all right, let's try to keep it clean. It stops. You know, that's when people get tempted not to do that. So I understand the psychology of it, but there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with having standards and trying to have your base live up to them. Um, the Internet's hard. You can't really wrangle it very easily. But, uh, you know, Tom Merritt always says you get the chat room you deserve. I believe that. So for, for those of us who are out there trying to be positive voices in this space, I think we can help that too. Um, but my big answer is if you're playing with randos, just don't have your headsets on. Don't talk to them. Turn that all off. Mute it. All these games support muting it now. You don't want to play Overwatch with a bunch of idiots. Just play with them. Pretend they're robots. Do, you, do the best you can. Be a good teammate. Give your commendations. But at the end of the day, you probably don't need to be talking to them. And if it's friends of yours... Absolutely talk to them. That's what it's for. Yeah, and trash so, talk them. Yeah, try, that's fine because you're friends. You understand yeah. what's going on. And I do that all the time with my friends. I have a group of friends I play all the time with, various competitive games, and we give each other all kinds of crap um, over over audio, over comms. But that's that's because we know each other and we're friends and we know what our limits are. If you start doing that with some rando, then you're either just mean and a bully or the other person is is just in a bad state to be able to take that kind of harassment. And they're young, so we're back to the whole, you know, what can their brains even process at that point? Mm-hmm. Just stay away from that part of it. And if you're a parent, just say, look, play with your friends, but if it's not your friends, don't have your headset on. And if your kid rebels, he'll figure it out on his own. It'll be fine. All right, so before we get out of here, we got some feedback. I got a tweet from uh, Leonard Stern, or oh no, Leo Stern. They said, "Do you ever look at Metacritic game reviews? Uh, do you have any review sites that you trust or don't trust? It seems to me that game reviews are harsher this year than last, with the high score of only an eighty-seven on several games I enjoyed scoring in the seventies." So. What do you think about Metacritic, Scott? Um, I don't like how it's become a um, a metric for developers and publishers to rely on for what they think their game is going to sell. I, because what that leads to is them... I mean, maybe we're seeing this turn, but in the past, and it's gotten kind of bad where they'll pay a YouTuber to talk about this game in a positive way and not disclose on any level that they were paid to do it. That's on the YouTuber and the publisher. Um, and the goal there is like, well, if we do that with reviewers, we get better review scores, we get a better Metacritic score, and people just automatically buy it if it's a 90. You hear stories about that all the time. I think that that's a problem. I'm a little out of my lane when I talk about it because I don't know exactly how it works internally at these companies when they see those scores and what they try to do to curb that. Um, however, I... There are a couple of there are some sites I always rely on. And there's also I'm also a big believer that critical reviews being coagulated into a single average score is very useful. So I like Rotten Tomatoes for that. I like Metacritic for that. I don't like the user reviews on either of those sites. And I certainly don't like Steam reviews because they get manipulated. They get review bombed. They mm-hmm. get negatively impacted for no reason or somebody gets a hair up their butt 
and they follow some YouTuber who's all angry about a certain aspect of a game. Uh, you know, maybe it had, I don't know, like a lesbian in it. Oh, no, the social justice warriors are coming out of their closet and they start review bombing and trying to put it in negative hell. I don't think it should be used that way. Everyone should have their opinion. Y'all should be able to say it, but I don't think you should be able to manipulate a market like that uh, or potentially manipulate it. So my thing is, if I go to Metacritic, it's to get an overall. If I want to get real specific and decide if it's worth my 60 bucks, I'll go to specific sites and check reviews from people I trust and know. Uh, also talk to friends who, who play. That's a big part of it for me. And then thirdly, I will go to Metacritic when I want to read really funny, bad user reviews from people who should never be allowed to type <laughs> because some of them are freaking hilarious. Like I want to animate them. I want to do like a whole YouTube channel. That's just nothing but animated versions of these, these horrendously written, awful, uh, misspelled, horribly punctuated, you know, nonsensical reviews. So part of me likes that if I'm being, <laughs> if I'm being honest, but I don't trust any of it. Like not as far as I could throw it. It's ridiculous. That stuff. It's so bad. So user reviews, this idea that the the wisdom of crowds, I no longer think that that's cool. I used to think that was a thing. And I used to think, yeah, that's right. The wisdom of crowds, the, 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 the larger part is where the brain trust is. And whatever we decide as a crowd, that'll be it. I don't think that works. I think Twitter's a great example of how that's messed up right now. I think there's so many competing voices trying to get you to bind their garbage on all levels of everything and this isn't a complaint i think this is just the way it is and i'm happy to accept it as part of the deal to have a free and open internet i don't want someone to control it so don't get me wrong here but all of that stuff has proven that the crowds are kind of bastards collectively and individually sometimes and i don't believe any of them <laughs> so i i tend to to keep my circle of it, of uh, information a little smaller trusting certain voices over others uh, build those relationships or that trust over time. And that's how I make my gaming decisions. I can't do it based on a score. It's got to be a little bit more than that. Yeah, I think a lot of people focus entirely on the score. Like, this is the score. So, th like, the 76 is 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 worse than the 78. And that doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I think that you got to find a reviewer. Don't look for a site that you like. I think you got to find a reviewer that you tend to agree with most of the time and you have to actually read their reviews. And I like that you said the wisdom of crowds doesn't really work. It worked really well until the crowd got organized. As soon as the yes. crowd got organized and they figured out, hey, we're pretty we're pretty powerful now that we're organized. Let's let's uh, start kicking some cans around. And that's when things go off the rails. And I did a whole episode about review bombing a few episodes back. So make sure that you go back and listen to that if you haven't, guys. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that, Scott. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, I just some would say it's it's free and open expression. And I guess it is. If the platforms give you the option to review, review bomb, if Steam doesn't control it that much, they may be able to tell you Ooh, there's a weird ju jump in reviews and we don't know why. And that's all they're doing. Um, then I guess that's the platform and you use it however you want to use it, but I can't trust it is the point. So all I'm saying is use your head. Don't, don't make rash decisions like anything in life, but even with video games, if you hear, if you see a headline, that's just clearly meant to, to get you riled up, stop for a minute, think about it, look around, check your, more of your trusted sources. And you'll probably find that things are a little closer to the ground than you think. So, I, you know, it's just, for me, it's just this, this human inclination to jump to conclusions. We got to get better at slowing down and and not doing that. And sadly or good, I guess, it depends on how you look at it. Gaming is there. That's where, that's where we're at with gaming. It's big enough. This is large enough and a big enough part of society now that we can't just treat it as weird underground offshoot hobby. It's more mainstream than it's ever been. and makes more money than any other mainstream form of entertainment. Um, so, we just need to get better at navigating it. And that part of that is going to be drowning out the voices we know are just there to make a buck or to screw us over or to mislead us. What a perfect, like he just completely encapsulated the entire episode in that last sentence. So are you ready to wrap this up, man? I am. I've All been right. having a blast. So I sort of am. I've kind of been enjoying <laughs> it, but I guess I'm okay to, to get wrapping it up. Sure. All right. Let's hit the outro real quick. I'm a coming Luigi. 
Become a part of the community over at runjumpstomp.com slash discord. You can watch the show live over at twitch.tv slash runjumpstomp. You can get a hold of me on Twitter at runjumpstomp. And I have a bunch of different podcasts, so use the hashtag RJSPOD because it makes it easy for me to sort what your comment is about. Scott, where can people find all of your stuff? Well, if you're looking for my shows and anything connected to them, you can go to frogpants.com. There's an entire grouping of podcasts that I do with myself and other co-hosts and a few shows that are just friends of the show. You can check that out as well. Uh, all the artwork I talked about are all, is all happening there as well. You can see all my latest stuff. And if you're looking to grab me online and talk to me in real time, Twitter is also a great place. And I respond to most everybody. You can go to at Scott Johnson. Awesome. If you are looking for ways to support this show, you can do so by heading on over to runjumpstomp.com slash thank you for more content like this. Check out my other shows at runjumpstomp.com slash shows. The music that you are about to hear right now is Through a Cardboard World by Tony Lays. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>